Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Well, it has been quite the last couple of weeks. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to stand in front of a group of people and to speak, but at its best, it's a daunting task, and the responsibility of it never leaves you. You'll always recognize that you purport to speak the very Word of God, and that is a, uh, a really fearsome thing that we are about. And when you add in the, the truth, as I talked over these last couple of weeks, that I've got stuff, we've all got stuff, then it's just uh, just real. Uh, it just, it, it's, a, it's a real thing that happens within us. Uh, we started in John 13, if you want to look there really quickly, John 13, verse 34. We're not going to stay there. I just want to kind of do this as a lead-in to where I'm going today. John 13, 34, we've been going through the Gospel of John as a series for those of you that have not been a part with us working our way through that gospel point by point, uh, chapter by chapter, but it's verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we've looked the last couple weeks at what it might mean or what it might look like for us to actually love all people the way that God loves people. Um, We have to recognize, and I guess my whole point in those two weeks, if you can get this, you can get the whole thing. My whole point is the people that we're reaching out there aren't really any different than us. I know we like to think in some ways that we're better than them because actually we've taken our stuff and we've sanitized it. We put on nice costumes in front of ourselves to make us look better. But the truth is they've got stuff and we've got stuff. So the truth is we are no better than they are. We, we live in a county. Uh, we, we, we personally are in Warsaw, New York, which is the county seat for Wyoming County. Because it's the county seat, we have many services that are offered to different people in this area that are needed for them. Many of them actually avail themselves of the mental health uh, area uh, of Warsaw, Wyoming County. And I have to tell you, I've thought many times, the truth is, probably all of us at some level or another need mental health. Because all of us at some level or another got some craziness inside of us. So the truth is, they're no different than we are, and we're no different than they are. So if you can catch this idea, which is we are called by God to just simply love people where they are, even with all their stuff. But what I wanted you to also catch is it's really hard to love them where their stuff is if you haven't first allowed Jesus to begin to meet with you where your stuff is. If you don't get some healing and wholeness, it makes it really hard because then their weirdness, their stuff becomes for you like a mirror of yourself. And it's hard then to love them because, well, I'm not like that, am I? No, you really are. You're just like that. But if you allow Jesus to begin to deal with you, and by the way, when when we talk about Jesus bringing healing, I've said to you a number of times, it doesn't usually happen in one fell swoop. It's not like all in one moment. It's a lot of moments of time where he begins to bring healing to us over a lifetime. 
But as we allow him to bring healing to our own souls, it enables us and it releases us to begin to be a healing agent to others. You know, somebody said once, we're not better than anybody, we're better off. I'm not even sure I like that. But I do understand what they're meaning. We have a relationship with God that enables us to deal with our stuff on a day-by-day basis, to deal with the issues of life. But I want them to know that same God, don't you? Don't you want them to know God? And to walk in freedom? Don't you yourself want to walk in greater freedom? Well then, how much more for them who don't even know Him at all yet? So That ought to be the driving factor. So over these last couple weeks, I've asked you to be vulnerable and honest enough just to admit that you've got some stuff, and to bring your stuff into the light where Jesus can actually deal with it. And what you'll find is that as you allow Jesus to deal with it, he not only brings healing, he actually brings you a perspective about people that is revolutionary in nature. Um, While I've been preaching, uh, and again, I know some of you have had the opportunity to stand up in front here and speak to people at various times. Some have not. But I have to tell you, as I was speaking over these last couple of weeks especially, uh, I wish you could see some of your faces. Some of you, as I've been speaking, have looked at me like I'm just off my rocker. Uh, Like, okay, you've gone a bit crazy here. You've gone off the deep end. Um, Some of you just stared at me like what I had to say. just wasn't computing at all. And some of you looked at me like, okay, if you're really this bad pastor, maybe you shouldn't even be up there. And I have to tell you, I agree with you all. But I am 100% convinced that until we allow Jesus into into the closets where we store all the stuff when all the guests come, until we allow Jesus under our bed where we keep all of the dust and all of the junk of life, until we allow Jesus into every nook and cranny of our life, we're going to live with fear. Afraid of being found out for being less than what we try to present to people with our masks and our t-shirts. And so I believe that ultimately, until we bring our stuff into the light, we will never know what it means to grow up into the fullness of him who is the head, Christ Jesus himself. And that's what I want. I want for me, and I honestly, desperately want it for you, that we would be his people walking towards greater and greater healing, wholeness, freedom, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what I want. So, having said all of that, that's kind of just a reminder of what we dealt with over the last couple of weeks. Um, I I want us to, um, to think about if it's true that we all have stuff, we all have things that we're dealing with, the question is, while we're waiting to be healed or being healed, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we're waiting for Jesus to heal some of that stuff that's in us? Do we crawl into bed and pull the covers up over our heads and hide? Do we... You guys need to learn the difference between a rhetorical question. (laughs) As... As, as we're doing it, as we're walking through life, where we are recognizing, we're feeling overwhelmed by our stuff, 
do we just kind of drop out of the race feeling disqualified and say, well, I guess it didn't work for me? What, what is it that we do in the midst of it? Uh, when the work on me doesn't seem like it's ever going to be done, so how in the world am I supposed to work on them? What is it that we are to do? So, with that in mind, I, I want to consider a couple things. I think the answer is, first of all, found in the Old Testament. Uh, we're not going to go there, but I want you just to hear this for a moment. It, it's found in the story of Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. You remember the temple, which was the house of God's glory, had been completely destroyed. And the king who had caused the destruction of that temple and the subservience of Israel as a nation, that king had ordered that every stone in the temple was to be taken and spread across all the nations of the earth. But after many, many years, 70 years had passed, God moved upon a heathen king. So God can even use heathens in His purposes. God moved upon a heathen king to bring His people back and to rebuild His temple. And Zerubbabel was the governor. And he began to rebuild the temple, but after a short time, the work seemed so overwhelming, they just began to give up. And they went back to their own houses. Haggai was another prophet that came along at that time. And Haggai was an older man, and he was a little bit sterner. He began to rebuke them and say, why are you working on your own houses when the house of God is laying waste? But another prophet, a younger man by the name of Zechariah, came along. And Zechariah looked at the children of Israel and he said, listen, you need to hear me. This work which seems so overwhelming to you isn't going to happen by your might or by your power. It's going to happen by the active working of the Holy Spirit of God. And he didn't even stop there. It's like as they were walking among the rubble and the stones, he spies right in the middle of all of the rubble this thing that's called a capstone. Capstone is different than a, like a headstone, obviously. And it's different than like the, the footer stone that you put in at the base of a building. A capstone was like the last stone you would put on a wall and it would often have an inscription on it. And it represented for you that the building was now done. And there is the capstone laying on the ground with all the other rubble. The work isn't getting done. And Zechariah says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And then he says, I want you to look at this capstone, Zerubbabel, and I want you to declare grace of God over it. I want you to say it loudly. In fact, he says, I want you to shout grace, grace over it. In other words, the work that needs to be done in us is only going to be accomplished by the grace of God. The same grace that saved you, the same grace that keeps you is the same grace that's going to work change inside of you. It's the same thing that God said through another prophet when they were working on rebuilding the wall with Nehemiah and Ezra. They, were with, they weren't rebuilding the temple now, they were rebuilding a wall that was to protect the temple. And Nehemiah comes along and he says, listen, you, you need to get this in your mind. This work is too important for us to give up on. Don't quit. Uh, I don't know how many of you um, watched the movie that came out several years ago. It, it, it was a Civil War movie called Gettysburg. Any of you guys saw that? Uh, it's got a scene in it in which um, Jeb Stewart, who was a Confederate general, was sent behind the enemy lines to gather intel for the Confederate forces as they were coming near to Gettysburg where they were getting ready to have this great battle. 
And Jeb Stewart is sent behind to, in order to do a reconnaissance to collect uh, all the information that they need in order to battle properly and to win that battle. And he takes off, and he was to be gone for no more than two to three days. A day goes by, a two days go by, three days, four days, five days. A week goes by, and the battle has already commenced, and the Confederate army isn't doing well, and no Jeb Stewart. And finally, he saunters into cap, camp, having been distracted by other things, and he appears before the general. And here is what General Lee says to him. Without your eyes, we are blind. Sir, this has already happened once. It must never happen again. Jeb Stewart, with shame, takes his sword off, if you remember the scene. He takes his sword off, and he offers it to General Lee and says, because of gross dereliction of duty, I resign my commission. And here's what General Lee says to him. I told you, sir, we don't have time for this. There is no time. There is another fight coming tomorrow, and we need you. God knows we need every man at his post doing his duty. Now, let us never speak of this again, and let us fight the good fight. And that's kind of what I felt in my spirit for us as a people. We've all got stuff. We all have stuff that we're dealing with in our own lives, but there's still a battle that's going on. It's not all about whether you're perfect yet. You're not perfect. You have failed, and you will fail again. You have sinned and you will sin again. So what? The battle is more important than you feeling great about yourself all the time. We have a battle and we need every man at his post. We have something that we're building that is greater than even ourselves. I'm suggesting to you that as we're allowing God to deal with our stuff, as we bring it into the light, we keep going. We don't just quit and give up. We recognize that the only perfect one is Jesus Christ. Until that time, He only ever uses sinners. That's you and I. Because we all fail. And we fail, by the way, every day. Whether by word or by deed, by omission or by commission, we fail. But we continue on in that which He has called us to. So my encouragement to you, as we look to chapter 14 in the Gospel of John, is that you don't allow discouragement to own you. You don't allow your sense of your own inadequacy to completely control you. The fact that I am called, that I believe God actually told me to do this, is the only thing that keeps me going sometimes. Because sometimes I am so aware of my stuff when I stand in front of people that I want to just quit and run home and hide but I keep going because I have been called to this. And I want to suggest to you, you have been called to the same. You might not be called to stand in front of people and speak like this, but you have been called to live your life with God before people and to be real and honest with them, to reach out to people who don't know Him. The cause is great, and we must continue on. So with that kind of in mind, as like a backdrop for where we have been in chapter 13, I want us to look at chapter 14. If you turn there, chapter 14. Um, I, I want to also say to you, I don't always say this, just because I don't want to draw attention to it, but the truth is, uh, I have struggled with this. Uh, I almost, in fact, I said to my wife, I give up. I'm quitting on this particular message. I can't make it come together. I'm just going to go back and preach a Christmas message because it's easier. Uh, but then I felt like I would be doing the very thing I'm talking to you about. 
So I can't do that. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to give you what I felt like God gave me. When I looked at the Gospel of John, I kind of planned out ahead of time what each chapter kind of caught my attention and kind of a general thrust of where I was going to go. And I had that general thrust as I came to chapter 14, but as I tried to put it together, it just wouldn't seem to come together. So the best that I can do today is to give you what I felt from the Lord. So look at John 14, verses 1 through 6 is where we'll focus today. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Back in chapter 13, Jesus had a very difficult, challenging conversation with his disciples. He told them that he was going to go away. And they didn't like it. Peter says, no, no, you're not going to. But then Jesus added another statement that was just as hard. He said, this night, one of you is going to betray me, and one of you is going to deny me. And if you go back into chapter 26 of Matthew for a parallel passage, Jesus also said, every single one of you is going to stumble and run away tonight. That's not a very encouraging word for anybody. Here they have been saved for three and a half years, walking with Jesus day by day. They were sent out with the other disciples two by two, where they actually performed miracles. So they were ministers in their own right. But here Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me, and the rest of you are going to run away in fear. Is it any wonder then that he starts off chapter 14 with verse 1 and says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, I, I came close, to, I'm not going to do it exactly that way, but I came close to just stopping there and saying, okay, that's the whole message. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in Jesus. Believe what he has said. Believe what he said about you. So what I'd like you to do is just take a moment. I'm not going to take real long, but I want you to take a moment and bow your heads. Close your eyes. And I want you to remember, what has Jesus said about you? Not what does your mind say about you. Not what does your failures say about you. Not what does your sin say say about you. Not what does your history say about you. I want you to recount in your own heart and mind right now, what does Jesus say about you? Does he like you? Does he delight in you? Does his light eyes light up when he sees you? Do you bring him pleasure and joy?
Does he have a plan for your life? Has he who has gone to the end before the beginning seen he's going to work out that salvation that he began in you? The same God who saved us, who forgave our sins and cleanses us from the inside out, that same God lives inside of you. And God has never failed once at what he has started to do. He says he will complete the good work that he has begun in you. He's not sorry he chose you. He didn't make a mistake and wish he could take it back. God is actually excited about what he's doing in you and through you. So hear the words again. Let not your heart be troubled. Remember the angel's declaration on that Christmas morning? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, that same Christ is born inside of you. Because Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Okay, you can look up. At men's Bible study on Saturday, we've been looking at 1 Peter. And Peter encourages us to realize that when we were born again, when we got saved, when we were born from above, when we became a genuine believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God took a seed and he planted it inside of us. In fact, he calls that seed an incorruptible, indestructible seed. That seed is his very life. He did for us the same thing he did for Adam back in the garden. He formed Adam from the clay of the ground. And Adam is laying there a lifeless mass of dirt. In fact, the word Adam actually in Hebrew means dust. So instead of calling him Adam, we probably would have been better to call him Dusty or something like that. But here's Adam lying out there lifeless, this big mass. And God does something that changes Adam forever. What did he do? He breathed what? His life into him. And that's what God's done for you. He took the seed of his DNA. You realize you have the DNA of a God inside of you? Not just of a God, but of the God. You have God's very chromosomes inside of you. He has created something of His life inside of you. And so is it any wonder that Jesus in John 14 starts off and says, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe me. Believe what I have said about you. Believe what I have said about your life and where you're going. I have given you a hope and a future. I have plans for you. So don't be afraid just because you've got stuff. Everybody has stuff. But don't let that define you or control you. Don't use that as your excuse. 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, uh, I'm, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. The, the translation that I used, and you'll forgive me, I, I usually don't do this. I honestly don't. I will sometimes tell you uh, another way to look at things, but this particular translation, please forgive me, has to be one of the worst translations I've ever read. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. That word mansion in the Greek literally means a rug that you sit on the ground and that that is your spot. Like when a merchant would set up uh, uh, an area where they were going to sell their vegetables or their fruit in, in that day and age. They would take their rug and they would lay it down and they would put the fruit on the very front of it or their vegetables on the very front of it. And they would sit there. The word that is used there in the Greek is that placemat. God says, I've given you a place. Which is, by the way, a whole lot better than any stinking mansion. I don't know what we would do with a mansion anyways. I'd have to hire somebody to clean it. I don't need a mansion. I just want to get as close to Jesus as possible. So all I'm asking is wherever my place is, let it be close enough to you that I can see you. In fact, I would rather be able to feel your breath. He says, I'm going away and I'm preparing a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. That's his promise to us. But the, the focus point for me is the last verse, verse 6. Jesus, after the disciple says, Lord, we don't know where you're going in. We don't know the way. How could we know the way when we don't even know where you're going? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the way, uh, the life. I'll get it down. Jesus is the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I know the way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He said, I am the way. I am the only way. And by the way, this is one of those statements that I told you that Jesus made back in the introduction to John's Gospel. This is one of those self-revelatory comments that Jesus makes. He makes seven in the Gospel of John. I'll just put them up on the wall real quick for you. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. And I am the true vine. And then what we have just read today is I am the way, the truth, and the life. The seven I am statements of Jesus. Now, I know that in this current culture, it is not politically correct or sensitive or tolerant to say this. But I have to say to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ and this particular statement is extremely intolerant because it is both inclusive and it is exclusive. It includes all who will believe on Him, all who will trust in Him. He says in John 1.12, we've read it already earlier, but as many as received Him, that's the clause, you have to receive Him. To them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. And then in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever, whoever believes on Him, whoever, so it's very inclusive, all you have to do is not just believe about Him, you have to believe in Him. You have to place your trust in Him. You have to receive Him. Accept that He is the Lord. Whoever receives Him, He includes into His family. You are one of My children. You're Mine. 
but it's exclusive of everyone else. It's exclusive of every other religion. And again, I know, uh, I, I feel like saying to Mark, uh, blank this out on the recording, I don't know. But I need to tell you, the truth is, every other religion in earth is wrong. It's wrong. Buddhism, um, Islam, Hinduism, they're wrong. Any religion that does not have its core and root Faith in Jesus Christ as the only way is wrong. And I know it's not popular. I know you can't say it blatantly because you're going to get somebody mad at you. They're going to say you're intolerant in this day and age. Well, you're intolerant of my beliefs. He says, I am the only way. There is no other. It's through Jesus and nothing else. It's the only way to salvation. He says in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he said here, right in this very verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's only through Jesus. He is the door to the sheepfold. It excludes every other attempt. It not only excludes every religion, it excludes every attempt that man makes to try to earn his way into God's goodness, into his pleasure. It's like, it's not at the end of your life, God's going to look at the good that you've done versus the bad you've done and hope that the good outweighs so that you can go into his presence. That's not how it works. It is through Jesus and no other way on earth. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousness is as filthy rag. It doesn't add up. It doesn't matter how good you think you are sometimes. It's not good enough for this perfect Savior. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. This verse also means that God excludes our attempts to somehow make ourselves look better, look more spiritual, look more mature. You know, uh, it's not popular to, you don't hear much about it or teach much about it, but all of the self-help stuff, I'm not opposed to doing things to help. I'm not opposed to weight loss programs and to working out. I'm not opposed to any of that kind of stuff that you might do to help you become healthier, more fit. I'm not opposed to you trying different things. Like, you know, some people, I've watched people with rubber bands. They snap themselves when they, you know, they're dealing with certain things in life. I'm not opposed to any of that kind of stuff. But the only way, the only way to real wholeness and health and life is through Jesus Christ. All the other stuff is temporary. And when something else happens that trumps that feeling at that moment, that takes control of your life. All, think about it. You can get up, have a good day going. You put your feet on the floor. You went into the bathroom. You actually went to the bathroom today. So at a certain age, that's a good deal. Uh, you take a shower. You, you have breakfast. Everything's going good. And then your spouse says something. And you know what I mean. It just has blown your whole day. There's only one way that all of that stuff is going to begin to make some sense in life is if you put your faith completely in Jesus Christ and say, my happiness can't be determined by anybody else or anything else. My peace, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, my peace 
can't be found anywhere else but in Jesus. He says, I am the way. The only way. As I thought about this particular verse in light of what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, I realized that Jesus starts off this chapter saying, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Then he says, I am the way. In other words, the only way we are going to deal with the stuff in our lives and find any real help, any real solution, any real healing, any success, the only way is going to be him. That's what he's saying to us. It's all through Jesus. All this stuff that you recognize was in your life the last couple of weeks as I've been talking, all of that stuff that's in you, you know, your insecurities, your fears, your anxieties, your jealousies, your, your, your struggles with lust, your lying, your stealing, all of that stuff, whatever it might be, the only way it's really going to find any kind of help is in Jesus. That's what he's saying to us. I am the way. There is no other way. I'm not opposed to counselors. In fact, Isaiah chapter 1 says that in the last days, God's going to restore counselors as of old. But those counselors are counselors that lead us back to the Lord. Not just to systems or techniques. They're going to lead us back to the Lord, who is our only hope for salvation. That's what he's saying. He says, I am the way. My way is the only way. Now, some people get caught up in the exclusiveness of that statement. They say, well, why can you say I'm the only way? Well, my, my statement would be this. I don't think you should ask the question, why is this the only way? I think you should ask the question, why is there any way at all? Because the truth is, every one of us is deserving of judgment. Every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve death and destruction. So the fact that God has provided any way at all ought to be a sense of rejoicing, of thrill for us, that he has given us a way. It's his kindness that not only saves us, but is beginning a process of change in our lives. Now, what I'd like you to do, just take a moment, bow your heads again, I want you to just take a moment and think. Has Jesus saved you? Has he come into your life, forgiven your sins, and washed your sin away? Now be honest with yourself. Are you, are you a believer? I'm not talking about do you believe about God. You believe that he is God. But do you have a relationship with God? And if you do, my next question is, can you see where God has changed you? That you're not the way you used to be? Or maybe you're not where you want to be yet, or where you think you should be. But has God changed you? Have things shifted in how you see life and how you respond to life? Has God brought healing in some areas of your life? And if he has, can you not put your trust in him that he's going to keep doing that? He's not done with you yet. 
Can't you believe what Jesus has said? That that good work that he has begun in you, he's going to finish it. That God has never left any work unfinished. Michelangelo did, but Jesus never has. We do, but Jesus never has. Can't you believe that when God says, I'm going to save you to the uttermost, that that's exactly what he means? So that today, you woke up and maybe you and your spouse didn't do well. You were kind of frustrated with the kids and things that had to go on and trying to get everybody ready and trying to get to church and it didn't go right and you snapped at each other. Okay, you blew it. Okay. Go back and say you're sorry and let's go on with Jesus. He's changing us. There was a day when it would have taken you two, three weeks to say you were sorry. How about you say it quickly? Just get it done with. And say, Jesus, that's you. I couldn't do this on my own. I could not years ago have said I'm sorry because those were too hard of words. But you have changed me. I'm not the same person anymore. And that anger, it's not the same anymore. I used to stay angry for so long and now I don't want to be angry. I want to be an angry person. I want to be a lover of God and a lover of people. Can't you see that God is changing you from the inside out? Your marriage has changed. Your relationship in your family has changed. How you look at work has changed. Because now you're an ambassador of Christ on the job. Just before you open your eyes, I want you just to say thank you to Jesus that he's not done with you, that he's still doing it. Just say thank you, Jesus, that your way is the best way. It's the only way, but it's also the best way. Okay, you can look up. Uh, very simply, I am the truth. Um, I was raised in a nation among a people that believed that truth was relative. Truth was determined by the circumstances and the need at the moment. So what would work over here for Jean might not work over here for Sarah. Because although that's true for her, it might not be true for her. So we hear people saying, well, that's your truth. You've seen people do that? You, know, you had people say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but that's, that's how you see things. That's your opinion. Well, I want to suggest to you that according to the Word of God, truth is not relative at all. Truth is absolute because truth is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the declaration and the demonstration of truth. Truth is embodied in who he is. And I am amazed at how often even we as believers want to justify what we do or want to do by changing the truth. Uh, years ago, I had a friend of mine call me one night late, and he said to me, I, I need to tell you, Chris, uh, I have found my soulmate. And I paused for a minute, and I said, oh, really? What about your wife? Well, 
that has been a bad relationship from the beginning and we never should have been married in the first place. I've now found my true soulmate. I want to suggest to you that person has just made truth relative to how they feel. And I'm wondering, how often do we do the same kind of thing? How often do we allow our feelings to determine what we do rather than the truth of God's word? How often do we need to, like David, speak to our own souls? David at one point said, I'm feeling really depressed about life. It's not going good. I'm not happy. I'm stuck in this cave. Uh, it's called Abdullam's Cave. But the truth is it's just a dirty, dank cave. There's bears in the back, I think, or something's going on back there. It's not good. It smells in here. And I've got all these other 70 guys hanging out with me, wanting me to feed them. Things are not going well. And then David says this, Soul, he speaks to his own soul. Soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. There are times when we need to speak to our own souls and minds and say, stop it. It's not the truth. And if you can't do it, you need to get yourself connected to somebody who will say to you, stop it. That's not the truth. I can't allow my stuff and how I feel about life to control the truth of what Jesus says and what he wants of me. He says, I am the way and I am the truth. The truth is, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. The truth is, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the truth. And that's what we need to live based upon. He is the declaration, the de definition <laughs> and the demonstration of truth. We need to stop. Please hear me. We need to stop blaming our parents, our spouses, our history, our genes, medical science, brothers and sisters in Christ, our boss. We need to stop blaming people and just say, Jesus, you're sufficient for me. Your way is the way. Your truth is the truth. And then he says, I am the life. You need to know there is no life outside of Jesus. Before Jesus, there's just existence. There's not life. Not real life. And he says, I have come that you might have life. And life more abundant, more full. He didn't come so that we could just somehow get our ticket punched for heaven. It's true, we have eternal life. But he came so that we could know his life on earth today. Because while you're here, do you know you're practicing? Did you know that? You're practicing for there? Because he said, if you can't handle judging things here, how are you going to judge angels in the age to come? So what you do here is a precursor, a training period for how we're going to function there. And he says, my life is available to you right now. My life, the, it, it's kind of like when, when I was preparing, I had a dream last week. Uh, I don't even know if I, I don't think I even told Karen. It's one of the first times it's ever happened to me. In my dream, I was preaching, and the preaching went so well, it was unbelievable, that while I was preaching, I was undone. 
and everybody else that was hearing it was undone. It's true. I mean, I know it doesn't usually happen, but that's what happened. As I'm in my dream, I'm undone. And I wake up with kind of two phrases in my mind. It's time, and then without Jesus. Just those two phrases. It's time, and without Jesus. Without Jesus, we don't have any hope. We don't have any life. And it's time that we begin to believe all that he has said about us. All that he has said to us. I am the way, the only way. I'll lead you in the way. I am the truth. There is no truth outside of Jesus. I'm not saying there's not truth in science. That's not what I mean. But if it's true in science, then it's true in Jesus. There is nothing that Jesus says that science can contradict. And I am the life. You have no life without me. As we walk towards Christmas this year, and we love to think about the little baby in the manger, and I had practice yesterday with Ben and one of the little children for a little part that I have in that dramatization that's going on in a couple of Sundays. We love to think about this. How many of you have your trees up already? How many of you put trees up before Thanksgiving, can I ask? <laughs> David did. <laughs> David Neeson, what a guy. <laughs> he keeps his tree up all year. <laughs> Why take it down? Just as an aside, you know, one of the things I always dreamed about was having a house that had a big area between like a dining room and a living room, an area that would be like this big with an empty space with like pocket doors that you could close, and you could just take your tree and roll it into there and close the door and then roll it back up. Anyways, that's besides the point. That, that was just always a dream. Um, as we look towards Christmas, and we love to think about the little baby in the manger and the three wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. We love all of that. I want to remind you that that baby grew up. And he died upon a cross for you and for me. He gave his life so that we could have his life. That's the promise of Christmas. That all of the stuff that we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks about the junk that's in our lives, it's all true but it's not the end of the truth. The truth is he's greater than our stuff. He's bigger than our stuff. He's more powerful than our stuff. And one, I'm not even opposed to counselors. I think sometimes we need to go to counselors. But one touch of Jesus can do more than all the counselors can do for a lifetime. And that's what we ought to be looking for even this Christmas season. Like David, maybe we ought to celebrate Christmas all year long instead of just on December 25th. Celebrate the fact that God came into our life. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Or maybe we could say God within us. Because according to 1 Peter, we have tasted of the divine. The divine lives within us. That's his promise to us. Would you stand with me? I know it's got to be about the simplest, hmm, the most basic message I think I've probably ever preached. 
although I'm sure some of you have been around long enough that you could say, oh, no, I can remember some others worse. Uh, but I kept coming back to this one thought. The reason why we don't have to let our hearts be troubled, we don't have to be afraid, is because Jesus has already shown us the way. And it's in Him. He is the way. He's already spoken truth over our lives. And anything that Jesus has said trumps any lie that anyone else has ever spoken over you. Whether it be parents, or siblings, or spouse, or even your own soul accusing you. And then he is the life. His life, this season, trumps what sometimes feels like deadly things inside of me. He is the life. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, there was in me throughout this week just a desire to park on. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Well, Jesus, I want to say I believe in you. I believe you. That you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that is working inside of me and it's working inside of my family here. I pray, God, that we would, this season of all, be like this little child born in a humble manger, be willing to humble ourselves to recognize the stuff we have, but not allow it to become the definer of our lives, but that we press into you for your life in us, and that we would believe what you have said to us and of us. Lord, let this be a season in which we know the celebration that Jesus came for us. He was a little baby, and yes, He was for Mary and Joseph. Yes, He was for Israel. But now, He's also for us. We thank You that Emmanuel is with us. Let this be a season for us of joy and celebration because of Your kindness to us. Even when we're faced with our own stuff, we know that our stuff is only going to get better when we bring it to you. Without you, without Jesus, there is no hope. But with you, there is not only hope, but there's a future. We thank you for it, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day.